I need to preface this before you guys listen to the episode. There was an issue with the audio. I did not notice the issue until the end of the episode when I went to start editing. There is some major echo and reverb or distortion. I don't know how else to describe it other than it's an echoey sound. It's not great. I did my best to clean it up, but it sounds horrific. This once in a while happens when I record and I can usually hear it in my headphones and then I just have to close the application that I use to record and then restart it and usually it fixes it. I did not notice this until it was too late, so I really do apologize. I thought about pulling the episode and not even releasing it, but um, I worked hard on it, so I'm just going to release it. If you don't choose to listen, that's that's fine. I totally understand, but I do apologize. Hit we're 119 episodes in and these technical glitches, you just never know when they're going to happen. And other the only other thing I could do is start from scratch and re-record the episode, and I just don't have the time nor the energy to do that after spending um, all this time trying to clean it up, trying to fix it. So I do apologize, and I just wanted to let you guys know that uh, and no- let you know what you're getting yourselves into when you go to listen to this episode and it sounds like absolute garbage. So my apologies, this will be fixed for next week's episode. If there's one reason for you guys to listen to this week's episode, it would be none other than to just simply get away from the election buzz. We all know right now we had the election on Tuesday and everybody since has had anxiety over who is going to win. They've been counting the votes through the night every single day. Just get away from all that, break free, and listen to This Week in Sports, episode 119. We've got a huge, huge show on tap for you today. The Red Sox with a big announcement early this morning. They thought none of us would see it with all the election buzz going on, but I will cover that. Uh, more on the show later in the show towards the latter stages of the show. I'm going to recap Thursday night football from last night. The Packers looked like themselves again. Devontae Adams really rounding into form. Okay, you've got the Giants blowing it on Monday night football. I'm recapping week eight and looking forward to week nine. There's also a lot of awards that were handed out in Major League Baseball. I've got all that and a whole lot more coming up in just one minute. You're listening to This Week in Sports. Here's your host, The Pody. What's going on, everybody? That's right. I'm The Pody, and you're listening to episode 119 of This Week in Sports. It is Friday, November 6th, 
2020. I have off from work today, so I am pumping this episode out as quickly as I possibly can. We are going to jump in and start with the NFL, but first I just wanted to say, as you heard in that open, yes, election, all that good stuff is going on right now. We still could be waiting a couple days, if not weeks, if this thing hits the courts. Okay, right now it looks like Biden is winning and it doesn't matter what side you're on. There's people that are on both sides. Oh, there's voter fraud, this, that, the other thing. Now let's just break free because I have been one of those people that has been stuck, you know, glued to my phone, constantly checking the maps to see what's changing, how much percentage points ahead is one versus the other. What's the count coming in in Philly versus Georgia, uh, Arizona, Nevada, all these battleground states. It's just too much to handle. It's, it's too much to watch. So let's just break free. This is a nice, refreshing breath of fresh air, if you will. And I'm going to dish on a lot of sports that stories, a lot of news that you might have missed because you were too busy uh, following, you know, down that rabbit hole of Twitter and TikTok and all the conspiracies and the voter fraud and the wheelbarrows in the middle of the night bringing in, uh, you know, stuffed envelopes of ballots and, and, and all that good stuff. So uh, anything else I want to say? Okay, we got a big day of college football tomorrow. I will <laughs> recap a wild and crazy um, ending to the Rutgers game, um, which was just absolutely a dagger to my heart. If you, you know, you know, you probably already know what I'm talking about. Um, what else? Uh, yes, we've got some football games on tonight, including Miami uh, against NC State, looking to make a big statement there. Um, but without further ado, I don't want to drag this on too much. Let's jump right in. Let's recap week eight in the NFL season. And boy, oh boy, uh, I did not win any money this week, okay? But I will say this. Week eight, by far the worst week for for favorites. Um, If you bet on favorite teams, it was not a good week. This was the week for the underdogs. I'm talking Packers were six and a half point favorites over the Minnesota Vikings. They lost um, the the just a bunch of games. A lot of uh, favorite teams lost. The Tennessee Titans lost to the Bengals. Okay, the um, Denver Broncos beat the Chargers in the four o'clock games. The Saints, I don't think, covered. They won in overtime uh, against the Bears. A lot, a lot of games. Um, the Steelers. They got a big win over the Ravens, and let's start there, actually. The Steelers remaining unbeaten as they knock off Lamar Jackson's uh, Ravens, 28-24. to That Steeler defense is legit. They definitely set the tone early as they pick sixth Lamar Jackson on Baltimore's first drive of the game. If that wasn't a, a sign of things to come, I don't know what would be. Uh, it was the first, excuse me, of many turnovers for Lamar, who finished the game with two interceptions and three fumbles, a pair of which were lost. You know, something about Lamar Jackson, he has a reputation now in just, what, his second or third season here in the league of not being able to win that big game. And I don't know, I was listening to Tiki Barber just about an hour or two ago. Um, I was driving, I had to go get blood work done. And they had Tiki Barber on, and he was explaining how he doesn't know if Lamar, it's just him trying to prove everybody wrong and prove that in his big moments that he could be that pocket passer or he can just extend a play and, and, and make that game-winning uh, you know, play. 
or, or that game-winning throw or that, you know, whatever it may be. And he's yet to be able to, to win that big, big game, whether it be last, last year in the playoffs where they got dropped uh, badly by, what was it, the Titans, I believe, or if it was, you know, earlier this year against the Ravens, or in this game, for example, against the Steelers. It's just the turnovers have been killer. Um, the Ravens, surprisingly enough, I mean, they're a team that loves to get it done on the ground. They ran for a total of 265 yards. The Steelers, on the other hand, just 48. But again, it didn't matter when you turned the ball over that many times. They become the first team since at least 1950 to outrush an opponent by 200 plus yards and outpass them by any amount and lose. Um, Lamar Jackson actually threw for 208 yards. Big Ben threw for just 182 yards. With the win, though, the Steelers, again, now 7-0. They take a huge, commanding two-game lead over the Ravens in the AFC North. The two teams will meet for a second time in Pittsburgh on Thanksgiving. So look for that one. It will be must-watch. Big Ben, uh, he was very happy that the Steelers' defense is on his team. Take a listen. Well, Ben, 7-0 and and how appropriate it comes against your rival. Yeah, give your coach a little high five there for an unbelievably called game. And what can you say about coming in here on the road, beating your rival to stay undefeated in a fashion like this? You know, it's not always pretty, uh, but we find a way to get it done. And I'm just so happy for these guys. So pretty cool. Yes, you are 7-0. And this defense, uh, top two defenses in the league coming in. And then the fourth and three and the stop down there. What can you say about the defense of the Pittsburgh Steelers and their performance out here today? Yeah, once again, I'm just glad they're they're my defense. And they're so much fun to, to be a part of this game. And I'm just so happy for them. And um, they stepped up when we need them to once again. So uh, I'm just glad. I'm glad that they're Steelers. So. You and your offense stepped up in the second half. It was a struggle early on in that first half. What was the difference in terms of getting things going, getting your wide receivers involved, especially Juju Smith-Schuster, yeah. a huge second half for him? Proud of the way that, that all those guys played. Um, Juju got some really tough yards and took a beating and did some really good things. So it was really fun to get everyone involved. We kind of spread it out and did some different things. And, and a lot of guys got involved, so it was pretty fun. Go enjoy this win. Thanks a lot. So there you have it. The Steelers improving to an impressive 7-0. And speaking of favorite teams that lost or teams that were favored on Sunday, let's talk about the L.A. Rams against the Tua Tagovailoa-led Miami Dolphins. So, of course, the big headline in this one was that coming out of the bye, Tua making his debut starting in place of Ryan Fitzpatrick. That was a coach's decision there. They figured with the bye, give him an extra week to prepare, and they, they thought that Tua would be ready to go, and, and they, they trotted him out there coming out of the bye. I did a nice little parlay, uh, tried to capitalize off those alternate spread bets that I did a week ago where I won like two bucks and I did another one and of all the games I picked I did five again this was the one game that I was most worried about and it was the Rams and I was worried for good reason okay and uh, I'll explain why the Dolphins 
absolutely laid it to the Rams. Uh, this one wasn't very close at all. After an early fumble uh, by Tua, the Dolphin, I think Aaron Donald sacked, strip sacked him. The uh, Rams were able to go up quick, 7 nothing. Boom, I was like, all right, here we go. This is going to be Tua. You know, it's going to be an ugly one first game. And, and, you know, the Rams should get this one done. But no, Tua settles back in and he finds Devontae Parker late in the first quarter for his first career touchdown pass. That would be just about all the offense, though, that Miami had on the day. Tua, in fact, threw for under 100 yards. The Dolphins, in a matter of minutes, their defense and special teams put this out of reach so fast. I, I, I mean, one second, it's 7-7. In a blink of an eye on red zone, they're showing it. All of a sudden, 21-7. This is partly uh, to blame as to why. Goff, hit, ball comes loose. Dolphins have it. Across midfield, it's Van Ginkle. And he will take it all the way for a Dolphins score. These Dolphins are for real. They are for real. They have an answer for this empty package. They are literally going to run the Rams out of this empty package because it is not working. Emmanuel Alba right here coming off the edge. And the funny thing is, it's been pressure, pressure, pressure. Usually defenses, they go to be safe and conservative when offenses go empty package. Instead, it's been get after them. And I'm telling you, if they don't fix that, the Rams don't fix it, it's going to be a long day. They cannot run that package right now. And Van Ginkle with the touchdown. Almost ran out of breath there he he just made it <laughs> and he's gonna keep that football all right so jared goff had the rams inside the red zone when that play happened he gets strip sack and he gets returned by van ginkle and i know you're only just hearing this because it is a podcast it's audio only but let me tell you if you watch that play you saw exactly the same thing i saw josh reynolds wide receiver Number 11 for the Los Angeles Rams absolutely dogged it after Van Ginkle, who is either a linebacker, defensive end, whatever. You're talking a, a wide receiver versus a white linebacker, okay? No chance he shouldn't have been able to run him down. And guess what, Josh Reynolds? Did you see DK Metcalf on Sunday Night Football a week ago run down? Uh, well, who was it? Not Patrick Peterson. Um, it, it, Whoever, whatever. He, he ran him down like the beast that he is. They call him Donkey Kong for a reason. Superman over there. He was able to chase the guy down. And you could have done, you were jogging after this guy and, and you were catching up to him a little bit. But those are the teams that make winning plays. And, and that would have been a winning play if you could have just stopped going in and actually, you know, put your big boy pants on and sprinted after that dude. You would have caught him, maybe stopped him at the 10 or 15-yard line, and then who knows what happens there. Because as we saw a week ago on Sunday Night Football, when um, when DK Metcalf did that, the Arizona Cardinals ended up getting zero points because they went for it on a fourth and goal and, and didn't score. So, yeah, that just happened to piss me off just a little bit. Um, but that's one observation there. That wasn't the reason that they lost, however, because... The Rams would get the ball back and immediately go three and out, okay? And 
on the ensuing punt to Jakeem Grant. This is what happened. Well, spent five seasons in Dallas. Another terrific kick by Hecker. Forced Grant all the way back to the 13. And now another big return by Jakeem Grant. Still going. Grant will take it all the way. 88 yards for Dolphins. Touchdown on special teams. Jeez. That was some track speed. You same bolt running, man. That is awesome. He, what a supporting cast for that man right there celebrating with Jakeem Grant. Look at the speed right here. You know, it's funny. I'm up here. I'm holding my breath. I'm like, man, he, he could go. He could go. He could go. He's gone. And the support, we said the supporting cast, special teams, defense, everybody is helping out Tua, and it's making this, this guy's job a hundred times easier today. That was the first punt return for a touchdown this season, and that quickly put the Dolphins up 21-7. They would score once more before half on a Miles Gaskin run to put the Dolphins up 21 Things would settle down a bit in the second half, but that game was over. The Rams tried to mount the comeback, but ultimately fell short 28-17. to With the win, Tua became the first quarterback to win his first career start with fewer than 100 passing yards and 20-plus attempts since Donovan McNabb in 1999. And the Dolphins right now are surprisingly 4-3 and and squarely in the thick of it in that AFC playoff race. The Bills earned a big win over the Patriots. Buffalo secured an important 24-21 win against New England on Sunday. Their first, their first game won at home against the New England Patriots since week three of the 2011 season. Zach Moss spearheaded Buffalo's ground attack, finding the end zone twice. A late field goal from Tyler Bass broke a 21-21 tie in the fourth quarter. However, Cam and the Pats had a chance to either tie this game or take the lead with the ball on Buffalo's 19-yard line in the final minute of this game. But as much of this season has gone for the Pats, they have lost all these close games. Bills defensive tackle Jordan Zimmer came up with the play of the game forcing a Cam Newton fumble that Buffalo was able to recover. 1,002. Newton will keep it. Newton. Oh, he lost the ball. Buffalo takes over. Cam Newton coughs it up with 31 seconds left. Patriots turn it over. It is recovered by Marlowe. And the Bills are 31 seconds away from ending this streak. The punch out by Justin Zimmer. And Justin Zimmer has made a name for himself this season here in Buffalo. You remember where he went to school, Lion? He went to that power known as Ferris State. That's right. Yep, there it is, Cam Newton with a fumble that ended the game. Um, he took the quarterback option, ran it, ran it up the left sideline, got some good blocks, but he did not move the ball 
into his left hand. You're taught from the time you're about 10 years old, as Tiki Barber once again said today on the radio, that when you're running towards the left sideline, you move the ball in your left hand. When you're running towards the right sideline, the ball goes in your right hand. And that, for all you kids out there listening, is so that on the off chance that you do fumble, well, number one, you're keeping the ball closer to the sideline so that if you do fumble, you know, the ball has a better chance of fumbling towards the sideline and possibly going out of bounds. But also, too, because you're going to keep it away from your defenders who are coming from your right in this case. Uh, so, yeah, tough, tough loss there. Uh, Cam Newton put it on his shoulders. He did take, you know, all the blame there and whatnot. Um, but they are now 2-5, and five, and they get to play the New York Jets, who are 0-8 on Monday Night Football. Next up, and probably the most surprising game of the day, we had the Cincinnati Bengals beating the Titans quite handily, 31-20. to Joe Burrow threw two touchdown passes and finished with 249 yards passing as Giovanni Bernard scored a touchdown on the ground and one through the air. After starting the season 5-0, oh, how the mighty have fallen. The Tennessee Titans have now lost two straight games against AFC North opponents. Yikes. Dalvin Cook and the Minnesota Vikings absolutely roasted the Packers, another underdog. I unfortunately had to play against Dalvin Cook in fantasy last week, so he practically outscored my entire team. That's how bad my season has been going thus far. Uh, it has not been a kind year to me at all. Cook turned in one of the best performances by a running back in recent history after missing week six with an injury and Minnesota enjoying a bye in week seven. God, did Dalvin Cook come back with a vengeance? I mean, wow, he looked just Man, oh man, I wish the Jets had a player of his caliber. He got it done uh, all over the place, racking up four all-purpose touchdowns in Minnesota's 28-22 win, piling up 163 yards on 30 carries. He also got it done through the air, taking a screen pass, 50 yards to the house, just a thing of absolute beauty. With that, it brings up a third and nine. Four-man rush trying to set up a screen. They've got some blocking. Cook taking advantage. First down and more. Dalvin Cook breaking free into the open. Caught all the way. Touchdown, Minnesota. Unbelievable run and blocking. A 50-yard touchdown. Dalvin Cook's got four of them today. He starts opposite the formation, crosses over. Now, you've got your linemen coming out. Watch, they're going to open up that first wave right there. There's Garrett Bradbury with a good block. Yeah, here comes 78 with their downfield. But now watch your wide receivers all get into it down the field. Look at Brian O'Neill, like 30 yards downfield. Watching plays like this, it's so sad to be a Jets fan when I see, like, the just... Beautiful blocking downfield. Dalvin Cook, just a playmaker in, open, in the open field, just getting it done, taking a screen 50 yards to the house. Uh, my one buddy, also a Jets fan, made note of this on Sunday while watching the Jets game, and he's so right. I have never seen the Jets execute a, a, a well-timed or well-executed screen pass, like ever. Anytime they run a screen pass, it gets blown up. They, get, they try a bunch of... Uh, wide receiver screens to Braxton Berrios 
against the Chiefs. They didn't gain any yards combined in any of the screen passes. They're just such an inept offense. So when I watch Dalvin Cook take a screen pass 50 yards to the house, and it's just total perfection. Um, they did it last night. Aaron Jones, he, he took a screen pass. Aaron Jones, by the way, last night, the first four plays all went to Aaron Jones coming off an injury. Just unbelievable. And I think the fourth play or, uh, was a screen pass to him, and it got about 15 or 20 yards. But even that, like he was gassed and he didn't even look like he was running that fast. And he just had so much open space. The Jets, they don't have that. That's how bad they are offensively overall. So, yeah, just, just something I wanted to make, make note of there. The Packers did try to make a late run in this game, but a strip sack on Aaron Rodgers in the final seconds gave the Vikings their second win of the season. And like I said, it was 28-22, to your final. Dalvin Cook now has 10 rushing touchdowns this season, the most by a Vikings player to the team's first seven games of a season in franchise history. He joins Adrian Peterson, who had eight, and uh, Chuck Foreman with two. Uh, who did it twice as the only Vikings players with multiple seasons of 10 rushing touchdowns. Speaking of my Jets, they got absolutely rolled by the Kansas City Chiefs. They entered this game as 20-point favorites against the 0-7 Jets, and Patrick Mahomes showed us why. He threw for five touchdowns on the day, which is more than the Jets and Patriots have all season long. Jets have four, Patriots have just three. Just ridiculous. Mahomes threw for 416 yards on 31 of 42 passing to go along with those five touchdown passes. He was also not sacked once in the game. Kansas City shut the Jets down on defense as well. Darnold had very little to work with, throwing for a pedestrian 133 yards. It's just so inept. And that offense, the Jets ground game was only able to muster 93 yards rushing between four players. Oh, and mind you, Chris Herndon fumbled yet again. This guy has been such an epic bust. He needs to go after the season for sure. Um, also of note, the Jets traded linebacker Avery Williamson after the game to the Pittsburgh Steelers. So he goes from, get this, an 0-8 team to a 7-0 team. Talk about hitting the absolute jackpot. The Raiders beat the Browns 16-6. Raiders came into this one in Cleveland in a very uh, windy, windy, cloudy, nasty weather type of game. And this was the one game I actually looked at. I saw the Browns as underdogs. I mean, uh, the Raiders as underdogs. And I thought that this was the one team that uh, could get the upset win. And I should have just bet on them straight up because the Browns couldn't do anything. The uh, just like I said, the blustery, windy conditions were just made for a bad football game overall. Both kickers had issues battling Mother Nature. Uh, they, these kicks were just spiraling from right to left and left to right. Uh, Cody Parkey made two field goals but missed his last attempt, while Raiders kicker Daniel Carlson saw the effects of the wind on an early miss. Carlson did bounce back to make his, rem his three remaining kicks, as Josh Jacobs kept things rolling for the Raiders on the ground with 128 yards on 31 carries. Derek Carr found Hunter Renfro for the game's first and only touchdown late in the fourth quarter. The Raiders improving to four and three while the Browns dropped to five and three. And of note, the 
um, the Las Vegas Raiders. They will face the heftiest punishment of any team to date for multiple violations of the NFL's COVID-19 protocols. The league is fining the organization $500,000 and coach John Gruden $150,000. The Raiders also will be stripped of a sixth round draft pick per report. No other team has been docked a draft selection for violating the league's COVID-19 policies. The Titans were fined $350,000 in October after a joint investigation between the league and Players Association determined the organization did not properly relay info to players during its COVID-19 outbreak and at times had personnel not wearing masks in the facility. Uh, this all after Raiders right tackle Trent Brown tested positive for COVID-19 two weeks ago. The NFL found video evidence that included several players not wearing masks or face shields and not adhering to social distancing on the sidelines. So, yeah, the league is, of course, cracking down on all um, of these type of violations. We've seen uh, the fines coming in week in and week out. This is not the first of it for the Raiders. So, yeah, being stripped, the, the money not a big deal, but being stripped, that six-round pick, that is a big deal. Okay, next up, Phillip Rivers, Nakeem Hines, they tamed the Lions in a big way. I actually thought the Lions at home would win this game. Boy, was I ever wrong. The Colts shook off an early blocked punt and a subsequent touchdown to turn the game on its head as Phillip Rivers had another strong outing in a 41-21 blowout win. A little bit closer probably than that score indicates, but nonetheless, it was not a good one for the Lions. With three touchdowns, Rivers has thrown for three-plus TDs in back-to-back -back weeks for the first time since the 2017-2018 season. The 38-year-old linked up with Naheem Hines for a pair of touchdowns, and the running back celebrated in absolute style. I don't know what these moves were called, um, these 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 tumbles and these gymnastic like twirls, what he did, but just take a listen. It was pretty impressive. If, if you saw it live or saw it replays, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Rivers, he's got Hines. Great catch by Hines inside the 10. Hines spins to the pylon. Touchdown! Oh yeah, do your cartwheel. You deserve it after that spin move. What a play. Second receiving touchdown of the season for Hines, and it was a beauty. You saw the motion. He's about to go to the left. He pivots. He comes back to the right. And then the, before the cartwheel, there's a spin wheel right there. It's really close. Every play is reviewed, but it looks like he's over the goal line. Still looking at it in replay. Still, still loving this right wow. here. I don't know who that announcer was, but that was not a cartwheel. And as Scott Hansen mentioned on Red Zone, an astute Twitter um, person on Twitter tweeted at Scott Hansen or at the Red Zone and explained exactly what that gymnastics double flip spin, whatever the heck you call it, was. Um, but I, I don't know. It's, I'm not a gymnast, so I don't know. But it was it was unreal. And with all like 30 pounds of equipment on all those pads and the helmet and everything to stick the landing like that. I mean, he did it twice too. I mean, good way to get hurt, 
don't get me wrong, but wow, very impressive to say the least. Um, a whopping 11 Colts players caught passes from Phillip Rivers in this game, who totaled 262 yards passing on 23 of 33 attempts. The afternoon slate of games featured an overtime thriller, an AFC West comeback for the ages, and a classic Russell Wilson performance. Let's start with Seattle. They bounced back after losing an OT nail-biter of their own a week ago. They earned the 37-27 victory over the San Francisco 49ers to improve to 6-1, and one, the best record in the NFC. Russ was his usual dominant self-throwing for 249 yards, four touchdowns, finishing with a passer rating of 128.3. And with the win, Russ is now tied with Tom Brady for the most wins, including the postseason, by a quarterback in his first nine seasons with 101. He is also averaging a touchdown every 10 passes. Every 10 passes, Russell Wilson is averaging a touchdown. Oh my God. Yeah, just let that sink in. Just ridiculous. He's the early contender for MVP right now in my eyes. Barring... Um, and for San Fran, Jimmy G, he exited the game at the start of the fourth quarter with an injury and in the day with just 84 yards passing and one interception. Um, interesting to note, his time in San Francisco might possibly be coming to an end just one season removed from a Super Bowl appearance. To make matters worse, when Nick Mullins entered the game in the fourth quarter, he racked up 238 yards through the air and two touchdowns. Wow. Um, also of note, George Kittle left the game in the fourth quarter with what appeared to be an ankle injury or foot injury. I'll have more on that a little bit later. Okay, in one of the other three 4 p.m. games, the Chargers blew a 24-3 lead against the Broncos through three quarters. The Denver offense was held in check, mustering just 10 points. Meanwhile, Justin Herbert continued to impress, throwing for 278 yards and two touchdowns. The Chargers also finished the game with four total yards, 485 to be exact, to the Broncos, 351. More total plays, 84 to 59, and possessed the ball for 12 more minutes than Denver. But it wasn't enough to win the game. I you just can't make this stuff up. Denver outscored LA 28-9 in the second half, including this game-winning touchdown pass as time expired. Second left, your best red zone shot right here. Gordon in the backfield with Locke. Locke gonna roll and throw. And caught, no, it's ruled incomplete. One official ruled incomplete. Now they've changed it. Greg, I think he got both feet down. That was that was a good throw. I think KJ Hamler gets both feet down in bounds. The official. Yes, so they did rule that good, and the Denver Broncos winning the game as time expired. Unreal. The Chargers became the first team in NFL history to blow four leads of 16 points or more in four straight games. It was also the fifth time in Chargers franchise history that they have blown a lead of 21 or more points.
The Saints escaped a close call in their game against the Bears. This one would go to overtime. It was back and forth in Chicago, but the Saints did come out with the 26-23 win in overtime. The Chicago defense actually came up with two big stops late, one in regulation and one in overtime, but the Bears couldn't capitalize on Cairo Santos's game-time 51-yard field goal, which sent the game to overtime. The Saints would take their second possession in OT and were able to just drive down the field into field goal range for Saints kicker Will Lutz to hit this game-winning 35-yard field goal. And a 35-yard drop. Good snap, good hold. Ball game. Saints win it in overtime, 26-23. Also of note in this game, if you were watching on Red Zone or you were watching this game live, Bears wide receiver Javon Wims went off on St. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. He just went up to him, sucker punched him, which snowballed into a full-on brawl between the two teams. Uh, Wims understandably being evaluated for a possible suspension. As of right now, I haven't heard anything, but it's possible it slipped through the cracks and I didn't uh, get alerted to that or missed it and he was possibly suspended already. Uh, he was, of course, ejected from the game after this play, um, but we now seem to have an understanding as to what set Wims off. So apparently earlier in the game, Gardner Johnson ripped Wims' mouthpiece off his helmet and tossed it to the ground. Wims was then subbed out and couldn't immediately retaliate. He didn't make it back into the game until 10 minutes later, but once the play was over, the first play he came in, he made a beeline straight to Gardner Johnson and tried to snatch his mouthpiece. When that didn't work, he resorted to plan B. Not a very smart plan, but plan B in and of itself to try to punch him with a helmet on. That's a good way to break your hand, but I will never understand why NFL players try to do this because again, you can't punch somebody when they have a helmet on, so yeah. In the nightcap, the Eagles earned a sloppy win over the Cowboys, 23-9. The Eagles won their second consecutive NFC East contest. Both teams combined to turn the ball over six times, and the team that lost the turnover battle actually won the game. The Cowboys defense had one interception all season coming into this game, and they managed to pick off Carson Wentz twice. Wentz, or Wentz, as people like to call him, threw two interceptions and lost two fumbles in this game. For Carson Wentz, he has now turned the ball over at, one, well, at least once in every game this season, either via an interception or lost fumble. He has thrown two picks in five games, and he now has 12 touchdowns and 12 interceptions on the year. He would finish the night with a paltry 123 yards passing and two touchdowns on 15 of 27 passing and he's only thrown for over 300 yards once this season in a 22-21 win over the Giants in Week 7. Carson Wentz now has 10 career interceptions while throwing into the end zone. That is tied with Big Ben for second most in the NFL since he entered the league in 2016. Only Phillip Rivers with 11 has more in that span. And as for the Cowboys, well, they were forced to start a rookie seventh-round pick, number 231 overall by the name of Ben DiNucci. 
Danucci had a great opening drive, led the team, moved the ball downfield, led his team uh, to a field goal off the leg of uh, Greg Zerline. So they actually took the lead there, 3-0. The Eagles coughed the ball up on a Carson Wentz fumble, giving the Cowboys the ball inside the 20. So they had a chance to go up 10-0. But Danucci was sacked and fumbled the ball right back to the Eagles. Danucci finishing 21 of 40 for 180 yards. He didn't throw a touchdown or a pick and finished with a passer rating of 64.6. I'm not 100% positive on this. But the Cowboys, I don't think Andy Dalton is ready to play because he's now coming off a concussion and was put on the COVID-19 reserve list. So he possibly has COVID. So he's going to be out again this weekend. So uh, last I checked, the Cowboys wanted to go to another quarterback not named Ben DiNucci. And I'm trying to look real quick to see if I can remember who that quarterback was because I know they have Garrett Gilbert on this team as well. Um, let's see, here we go. They're playing the Steelers, and it says, I've just found an article about uh, Mike McCarthy's odd quarterback decision for Steelers game and why one Cowboys analyst supports it. So let me, let me see right here real quick if I can figure it out. Um, let's see, at least... Okay, uh, Ben DiNucci starting against, scratch that, we don't need, uh, DiNucci was Ben, okay, this article might just be um, leading me on here. Okay, so apparently he is pulling Ben DiNucci. I asked McCarthy why he was pulling DiNucci, and at one point he said it looked like DiNucci was struggling with the speed of the game. Uh, blah, blah, blah. All right, yeah, let me, I, I don't know who the Cowboys are starting, but this is getting messy. Who are the Cowboys starting at quarterback? Let's just Google it. Okay, let's see. Let's see if we can find anything. Dallas Cowboys to start Garrett Gilbert or Cooper Rush at quarterback against the Steelers. Okay, so there you have it. That was from ESPN, so I don't think we know for sure which one is starting. But stay tuned for that. I'm sure they'll break that news early on Sunday morning. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they outlasted the New York Giants in the final minute of, of Monday Night Football. It wasn't easy or pretty, but Tampa Bay and the Bucs beat the Giants. Tampa Bay and the Bucs, that's the same thing. Tom Brady and the Bucs beat the Giants 25-23 to, to advance excuse me, to six and two on the season and move into sole possession of first place in the NFC South ahead of their big time matchup in week nine this week against the Saints. Um, real quick, I wanted to say the Bucks were, I think, over a touchdown favorite against the New York Giants. And to me, all logic was pointing towards the Bucks taking the Bucks. But I decided I was nice and reserved. I said, you know what? No, I'm not going to touch this game. I'm not going to take the Bucks because I, you just never know. And sure enough, the Giants came to play and they showed out. The Bucks were 12 and a half point favorites and over the one and six Giants. But the game came down to the final second. Indeed, it did. It was a two point conversion. How did we get here? Well, down eight, Danny Dimes found Golden Tate for the would-be game-tying touchdown. This was just a needle throw. I don't know what the DB was doing here and how he let Golden Tate get behind him. 
but he uh, overplayed this, and then he tried to leap at the last second, and it wasn't even close. What he should have probably done is realize, oh crap, I'm beat. Don't try to go for the ball. Just run back and just try to shove Golden Tate out of bounds before he could get his two feet in. But here was the play. It was an absolute dime throw by Daniel by Daniel Jones. You just got to stay on top of this seam route. You got to play with some vision and some depth. Stay on top of the wide receiver and make a play on the ball. You have time to play with cushion and get out of there. I don't understand why he throttled down and let him throw the ball over his head. It's just, that's just a bad decision, bad technique right there by Sean Murphy. Over the last. Yes, it was bad technique. Um, but on the ensuing two-point conversion, they came up just short amid some controversy about whether there was P.I. on the play. I think he was looking for Dion Lewis. Um, yes, the throw was late and a little behind him. Yes, the defender got there slightly early, but it was such a bang-bang play, of course, in slow motion. You see him get there a little bit early. They initially threw a flag. They waved it off, said no P.I. That was your game right there. But what I will say on this, Daniel Jones gets a lot of blame for this, but tell somebody needs to tell me why Deion Lewis ran this route so deep into the end zone. So when he broke from the line of scrimmage, he ran to the, to the end zone, but he ran up instead of running more towards the sideline. If he made a straight beeline to the sideline towards the end zone, he would have been much more wide open, could have caught the ball and then reached over for the touchdown. So, or the, the two-point try, and he would have ended up having this game go to overtime. Maybe there was like 28 seconds left. Tom Brady easily could have ran down the field and, and scored uh, some points there to win it. But nonetheless, the Bucs played a sloppy uh, game on all sides of the ball, and they come up with the victory. Giants just cannot seem to get out of their own way, and they lose another, another close one. Okay, let's see. Okay. Let's talk some Thursday night football. Last night, the Packers absolutely dominated the shorthanded Niners. They suffered a surprising 28-22 upset loss to the Vikings on Sunday, which I just recently talked about. You knew they were not going to lose two in a row. They were going to come out. They were going to show out. They were going to fall out. They made sure that this game was out of reach by, by halftime. Uh, they get to win 34-17. Some key takeaways from this game. Number one, Devontae Adams is an absolute superstar. He has battled injury most of the season, but coming in last night, he was on a torrid pace, finding the end zone five times in his last two games. That continued into last night as he added 10 more catches for 173 yards and this touchdown that put the Packers up 7-0 early in the first quarter players along the way but they don't have the pass rush that we're accustomed to seeing but the secondary has been really good here's one for adams downfield and a catch touchdown mosley in coverage and the only question is did the feet get down my initial look it was close very close Let's see. It was a well-thrown ball on the outside. There is one. And I guess it's a matter of that elbow. Yeah, this was 
um, a very close call. I thought he was actually out of bounds because he didn't have two feet in, but he got apparently the elbow in. I thought the left knee was out of bounds, but the call on the field was a touchdown, so they kept the call on the field. And I think according to Amazon Web Services or AWS, I was streaming this on Prime, they have all the x-ray stats and whatnot. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> I think that they said this had a like catch probability of like 30-something percent or 20-something percent. But Devontae Adams has been just absolutely ridiculous. Like I said, I gave you the numbers. 173 yards on 10 receptions, that touchdown. And, of course, I was playing. Uh, I'm playing against him this week in fantasy. Of course, why not? I had Dalvin Cook last week and now 35 from uh, Devontae Adams this week. So, you know, I'm, I'm in trouble once again. Uh, but... Thrice this season, Devontae Adams has eclipsed 150 yards. This was the start of Week 9, and although Adams has only played in six games, he leads the NFL with eight touchdowns. He even had more receiving yards than the entire Niners offense had total yards at one point last night in the third quarter. He also became the first player with at least 600 receiving yards and eight touchdowns over his first six games played in a season since Randy Moss in 2007. It's easy to look at this game and see how good the Packers were, but don't forget the 49ers are not the same team that went to the Super Bowl a year ago. They've been absolutely decimated by the injury bug and COVID. Yesterday, they put both their quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, and all-pro tight end George Kittle on IR. The one lone bright spot for San Francisco last night, however, was this kid, Richie James, wide receiver. He actually had more receiving yards than Devontae Adams. He recorded nine catches for 184 yards and a late touchdown score. Take a listen. We just got to keep him that way to the postseason. <laughs> yeah. And then in the offseason, he can do whatever he wants. <laughs> On third down, pass to a wide open Richie James, makes a move and will walk into the end zone for the touchdown. Well, they have left Richie James alone quite a bit tonight. Yeah, they really did leave him alone quite a bit. Um, he had a stellar game. He did drop a third and five pass right before uh, the half that could have given them a first down and maybe got them on the board with some points. Um, but then, you know, that was really the only mistake he made. Just very interesting. Um, interesting character, Richie James, wide receiver, former, I believe, seventh round pick, okay, at, out of um, Middle Tennessee State. And what's funny is he's only 5'10", but he's a speedster type of guy. The perfect fit for a Kyle Shanahan-led offense just to take a nobody and turn him into a somebody. He had more yards receiving last night than he had in either of his first two seasons in the league. So in 2018, he had a combined 130 yards receiving for the entire season. And in 2019, a year ago, he had just 165. So eclipsing both of those marks in just one game last night. That is really something. The 49ers fall to four and five and are now in dead last in the NFC West. And I really don't see a way for them to get out of this hole with all the injuries and, and whatnot. I, I think their season is probably over. Okay, let's talk NFL trade deadline for a minute. The Miami Dolphins, they were really the only team that made a trade on uh, Tuesday's trade deadline, surprisingly making a divisional trade, sending wide receiver Isaiah Ford to the Patriots in exchange for a seventh round draft pick. 
Of course, Julian Edelman and, and Keel Harry are both banged up for the Patriots, so they are very desperate at wide receiver, so they add some depth there. Some other uh, trades, we saw the Chargers send DB Desmond King to the Titans for a sixth round pick. The Niners traded linebacker Quan Alexander to the Saints for a conditional fifth round pick and linebacker Kiko Alonso. They were probably able to make that move because of the stellar play by linebacker Fred Warner. He has just been an absolute beast for the 49ers. And the Cowboys acquired defensive tackle Eli Anku from the Texans for a 2022nd seventh round pick. Of course, there were some more uh, trades mixed in there. I'm not gonna go through and talk about all of them. You know what they were, depending on what team you follow. Okay, real quick, let's go over some of these matchups, okay, for week nine, just real quick. Some of the games I like, you've got some big uh, big games. You've got the Seahawks and Bills, two teams leading their division, six and one Seahawks, coming all the way from West Coast to East Coast to face the Bills. They are three-point favorites. This is one of those games where I just can't bet against the Seahawks. They're playing too good, and until they lose, I'm not going to bet against them. Um, you've got the 5-2 and two Titans hosting the Bears. I think they will bounce back, uh, although 6.5-point favorites is kind of a big spread. Um, the Bears are just, they are, their stock is going down. Uh, let's just put it that way. You've got the Ravens and Colts, two 5-2 and two AFC teams. The Ravens are 1.5-point uh, favorites on the road. I like them there. You've got the Chiefs hosting the Panthers. That's a 10.5-point spread. That's a little bit too high for my liking. I would probably stay away from that. You've got the Vikings hosting the Lions. Um, I'm not, I wouldn't touch that game. Interesting one here. You've got the Redskins hosting the Giants. Remember, last time these two teams played, it, the Redskins came a two-point conversion shy of winning this game, and it's the Giants' only win this season. I actually think that the Giants uh, will upset the Redskins here. I don't view it as much of an upset. I don't know why the Redskins are favored here, but give me the Giants plus two and a half on the road. I might take the money line Giants straight up there as well. Um, uh, let's see. You've got obviously the big one is the Saints and the Buccaneers. Bucks hosting the Saints. Of note, Antonio Brown has fulfilled his suspension. He's been activated and he will suit up and play in this game for the Tampa Bay Bucks in the biggest game of the season, trying to get revenge on the Saints. They are locked there at five and two for the Saints and six and two for the Bucks. This is for first place. Um, Bruce Arians also said he believes that Chris Godwin coming off surgery on his finger will suit up and play, although I probably won't start him in fantasy because I've been here, done this, seen this before. He will probably most likely just be more of a decoy. On the other side of things for the Saints, Guess what? Michael Thomas might be making his return and probably will be making his return. First game action since week one. If there was ever a time I needed him, it is now and here. I probably need to win out in fantasy to try to make the playoffs at this point. So we'll see what happens with that game, but that's a must watch. Also, you've got the Cardinals hosting the Dolphins. These are two uh, young superstar type quarterbacks of note. Uh, Kyler Murray and Tua Tagovailoa, both wearing the number one. Warren Moon, I believe, was the first quarterback to do that. And now you've got Tua and Kyler doing it. And I think this is the first game ever where both quarterbacks are wearing number one. Of course, in recent years, Cam Newton came out, showed out, and started wearing number one, really bringing that number back to the quarterback position. 
So that's of note there. And then Monday Night Football, you've got my New York Jets hosting the New England Patriots. A lot of people, for some reason, think the Jets could actually win this game. You're out of your goddamn minds if you think that. Um, I think Patriots, they're getting a touchdown here. They're favored by seven, not even six and a half. That is a little rich for my liking. But boy, oh boy, I would love to see what the under is for this game and bet the under. I'm not one to bet unders very often, but if this is around 46, I might take the under for sure. But we'll see. We will see indeed. Uh, but that's going to wrap up uh, week nine and uh, week eight and week nine uh, there for you. So hopefully this week we see some more traditional uh Outcomes with the more fake with the favorites winning. Uh, easy bet this week would be the Steelers minus 14 against the Cowboys. I think that's a no-brainer there. Okay, real quick, let's talk some baseball. Now that the season's over, I know you probably don't really care, but we've got some gold glove winners to go over. On Tuesday, the winners were announced. In his first season with the Dodgers, Mookie Betts claimed his fifth consecutive Gold Glove Award um, in the American League. I'll just go down the list. Catcher, uh, Roberto Perez for the Indians at first base. You had Evan White of the Mariners. Second base, Cesar Hernandez for the Indians. Shortstop, J.P. Crawford of the Mariners. At third base, Gio Urshela got robbed. Isaiah Kinner, uh, Falafel, or whatever this guy's name is. Falafa for the Rangers. He wins the gold glove there. In left field, you have Alex Cora. Uh, I believe that is his eighth gold glove. You have Luis Robert uh, for the White Sox winning in center field. That is his first in his rookie season. Joey Gallo won it in right field for the Rangers. And for at pitcher, you had Griffin uh, Canning for the Angels. In the NL, Tucker Barnhart. Anthony Rizzo, Colin Wong, Javi Baez, Nolan Arenado, Tyler O'Neill, Trent Grisham, Mookie Betts, and Max Fried winning the gold gloves there. Of note, Nolan Arenado winning his eighth straight gold glove, matching Scott Rowland for third most among third basemen all time. His streak of eight straight is the second longest to begin a career in history. He trails only Ichiro, who won 10 straight. And Alex Gordon also winning his eighth gold glove matching Frank White, a second baseman for the most by a player in Royals history. He is the sixth player to win a gold glove in his final MLB season, joining Roberto Clemente as the only outfielder to do so. Like I said, Luis Robert or Robert is the first rookie to win a gold glove since Arenado did so in 2013. He's the fifth rookie to win the award over the last 30 seasons, joining Arenado, Ichiro, Charles Johnson, and Sandy Alomar Jr. Javi Baez also won his first gold glove and said he plans on getting a gold glove tattoo. Very interesting. Then next up, we had uh, your Silver Slugger Awards handed out in both the American League and National Leagues. In the American League, starting at catcher and going uh, same format, you had uh, Salvador Perez. You had, um, who else? Here we go. Let me see this. This is a little bit too tiny for me. Um, you had at DH, Nelson Cruz, first base, Jose Abreu, second base, my man, DJ LeMahieu, the Yankees better sign him back. At third base, it was none other than Jose Ramirez, shortstop, Tim Anderson, okay, um, so then, let me see, um, you also had, hold on, this was my bad, you had, uh, 
Mike Trout, of course, in center field, Teoscar Hernandez, and Aloy Jimenez for the White Sox. In the National League, you had Travis Darnot. God, the Mets wish they never got rid of him. How about that? You had uh, DH Marcelo Zuna, Freddie Freeman, Donovan Solano, Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis Jr., Juan Soto, Mookie Betts, and Ronald Acuna Jr. Braves really bringing home the hardware there with the Silver Slugger Awards. Okay, and then in what is possibly the biggest news of all sports coming out this morning, today, the Red Sox announcing they thought none of us would see it because we're too busy paying attention to the election, but no, I saw it. The Red Sox agreeing to rehire Alex Cora. Of course, Cora led Boston to the 2018 World Series title, but mutually agreed to part ways with the club amid a sign-stealing scandal. He was suspended one season by Major League Baseball for his role in the scandal. Boston, which ended the 60-game shortened season with a 24-36 and record, decided not to remain uh, retain manager Ron Renneke, who replaced Cora in January after serving on his coaching staff. The Red Sox did come in last in the ALE, so they've got a lot of work to do. This will not be the same team that Cora managed in that World Series. They, of course, shipped off their best player in Mookie Betts and uh, David Price over to the Dodgers. So he's got his work cut out for him, but uh, very interesting to, to bring him back. I know Buster only has been talking about it for a while, but this was a very... Um, big possibility that they would do, they would make this move. And then real quick of note, the NBA, last night, the NBA Players Association completed a vote approving a December 22nd start date for a 72-game regular season. Per a report by Woj, the NBA and Players Association will now finish negotiating the financial terms on an amended collective bargaining agreement. The trade moratorium is expected to be lifted shortly prior to the 2020 NBA draft on November 18th. So, hey, we'll get NBA action in uh, just over a month and a couple days before Christmas. Can't get any better than that. Okay, let's talk some college football. We've got some big games on tap tonight. Number 11, Miami on the road at NC State. They are 0-4 coming off an idle week with Manny uh, Diaz in charge, so that's something to keep an eye on there. Ten-point favorites there. Hold on, hold on, breaking news, hold on. I just got some breaking news. Hours after becoming Mets' new owner, Steve Cohen fires Brody Van Wagenen. Holy, and the entire front office. Wow, that just trumped. That might have trumped the Alex Cora hiring. Wowzer, wowzer, wowzer. So Steve Cohen, the richest owner in sports, not messing around, fires Brody Van Wagenen and the entire front office staff. This is a great move by their new owner. Uh, just, oh, I love it. I love it, I love it, I love it. But anyway, back to what I was saying. Wow. Okay, you got Miami on the road at NC State. You've got San Jose State and San Diego State, two 2-0 uh, two teams there. You've got then number 21, Boise State, hosting number 9, BYU. Of course, you turn that game on. It'll be on FS1. And you will see a sea of blue or purplish because that Boise State field is absolutely ridiculous. The colors, it's kind of hard to watch on TV even. It, it's hard to get used to. And then, of course, you've got big games on tap 
this weekend, starting tomorrow, you've got number 13, Indiana. Who would have thought that we'd be saying number 13, Indiana? Yes, they are 13th in the land after they beat my Rutgers Scarlet Knights. I drove all the way to Pennsylvania, as you guys know, last weekend to bet Rutgers getting plus 11. And it was just heartbreaking because when you thought, just when you thought they were out of it, they go onside kick, they get it back, they need a touchdown to cut it to 10, and they just start going backwards. They get into a like fourth and 20 uh, situation. They start lateraling it like 15 times and miraculously enough, take it to the house for a touchdown. I'm a little bit excited, but I know I've seen enough football in my day. They kept showing the replay like 15 times, so I knew something was amiss. They go to the review, they go to the review, they claim that one of the laterals was indeed not a lateral at all, and in fact a forward pass from the time that he lateraled it to the time that the offensive lineman touched it. They claimed that he was like half a yard in front, and that's because uh, these refs do not like any fun. Everybody, including Barstool, was loving this play. It was the greatest play I have ever seen in a college football game in my lifetime. And I was so hoping that it would count, but it did not. They do not cover because of that play, and I lost my 100 bucks. So, yeah, I was not too happy there. But you've got Indiana, Michigan, okay? Uh, that's number 13, Indiana, and number 23, Michigan. Michigan coming off a brutal loss to Michigan State. Just brutal. Um, I think the hardball era is over. You've got number 18, SMU, on the road against Temple. You've got Pac-12, baby. Pac-12 football is back. Number 20, USC, hosting Herb Edwards, Clay Helton, and his, and his team hosting Herb Edwards in Arizona State. The Pac-12 was back that game taking place at 12 p.m. on Fox USC, 10.5 point favorites there. You've got number 22, Texas, um, hosting West Virginia, Texas. That was my one pick. I took them to, to upset Oklahoma State. They got it done in overtime. You've got number 25, Liberty, 6-0 Liberty. I've actually been to Liberty. Um, my sister played the softball tournament there. What an unbelievable complex they've got going on there. Just unreal. Uh, but so they're 6-0, and they are on the road at Virginia Tech. You've got number 16, Marshall. I mean, the rankings this season are just so bizarre and wild. This isn't Randy Moss. This isn't Chad Pennington Marshall. This is, I don't even know who is quarterbacking and wide, playing wide receiver for Marshall. But they are 5-0. They are 16th in the land, and they are taking on UMass at home. Another big-time game, must-watch. 3.30 tomorrow, you've got Georgia hosting Florida. That's number five, Georgia, number eight, Florida. You've got number six, Cincinnati, who could just be for real. They could make a push at the a college football playoff at the rate they're going. They're 5-0. They're number six in the land. They are hosting Houston, and that's a game to watch because Houston is going to give them some trouble. You've got then number 19, Oklahoma, taking on 0-6, Kansas. Something is amiss in Kansas. Les Miles just can't seem to get any traction going there. Uh, they, they're coming off a brutal loss uh, by like 30 points to Iowa State. You've got number 10, Wisconsin against Purdue. But of course, we already know that game has been canceled as of Tuesday because the COVID cases within the Wisconsin program have just snowballed to a point that they just will not be able to field a team. Oklahoma State, they're number 14. Coming off that loss, they look to rebound against Kansas State on the road. You've got number seven, Texas A&M, going on the road to South Carolina. 
Iowa State, number 17. They host Baylor. You've got Clemson, Notre Dame. Of course, we now know that we, we will not be able to see Tua. Uh, to, uh, we won't see Trevor Lawrence for the second straight week because of COVID. Okay, they come off a scare, barely beating, barely beating, might I add, Boston College, getting it done 34 to 28. They did not cover in that game at all. But their young quarterback, I don't really even know how to pronounce his name, but uh, DJ Uagabalele or whatever, I believe he's Hawaiian. Uh, we'll see what they can muster against number four, Notre Dame. They're in South Bend on the road. This is going to be a tough one. Number one, Clemson. Number four, Notre Dame. This is an ACC matchup now because, of course, Notre Dame joining the ACC for this season. This will be on NBC at 7.30. Clemson, five and a half point favorites. You want to roll the dice on Notre Dame, be my guest. Okay, then what else we've got here? We've all got number three, Ohio State, hosting my Rutgers Scarlet Knights. The spread on this game currently is 38 and a half. Listen, I know it's Rutgers. They didn't look great against Indiana. They proved that their offense isn't great, but they're very much improved. Uh, they can at least put up points. Um, 38 and a half is an awful lot of points to be putting up here. Um, I know apparently... These two, these two coaches don't like each other. And Ryan Day and Greg Schiano, they were both part of that Ohio State staff, okay, under Urban Meyer. Apparently, there's some bad blood there, so we might see Ryan Day try to run up the score. But I just, I'm not going to PA again. But man, oh man, this would be another game that I would love to bet Rutgers getting 38 and a half points. That's just a lot of points. And then number 12, Oregon. At home against Stanford. Again, Pac-12 is back, baby. So look forward to that. And then number 15, Coastal Carolina. Just in my backyard, a stone's throw away from my uh, my beach house down in uh, Myrtle Beach or my parents' house down there. Um, they are taking on South Alabama. They are 6-0 and and they are ranked 15th in the country. My cousin went there. I have a couple of buddies of mine that went there. I've been to Coastal. Um, nice complex there, but that is one to watch. Keep an eye out for Coastal Carolina making a push into the top 10 in the rankings. Like I said, this is just unprecedented territory with these uh, rankings this season with COVID and everything going on and conferences starting late and whatnot. You got the Pac-12 starting up to tomorrow and you've already got, uh, like I said, Oregon is ranked number 12. They haven't played a game yet and you've got USC who's 20th and they haven't played a game yet. I think that's kind of ridiculous, but that's just the state of the nation right now with, with, with you know, the pandemic going on. Okay. Let's take a breath now and let's get to our last segment on this date in sports. Uh, this is our longest episode that we've had in quite a while. I apologize, but again, nice reprieve, nice little breath of fresh air to take you away from what's going on in the nation with the election and whatnot. On this date in 1998, so I was just six years old, we learned the importance of visualizing and attacking and always listening to what mama says. That's right, you guessed it, The Waterboy was released on November 6th, 1998, 22 years later. And this movie is still one of Adam Sandler's best. If you've never seen it, you must. Henry Winkler's in this one. Uh, the whole scene with the professor and 
uh, the medulla oblongata, just hilarious. I might actually, for nostalgic reasons, go and watch this after I finish editing and updating and publishing this podcast because it's been a while since I've seen it and it is an absolute classic. Um, you know, Sandler just released his Halloween movie on Netflix, Hubie Halloween. That was a pretty funny one as well, but he's still doing it all these years later. Um, Bobby Boucher. Oh man, what a, what a great, what a great movie that was. Great football movie. So you know what? I probably will go watch that tonight. I think it's on, uh, I could stream it on Showtime, but, uh, that'll do it guys. That wraps this show up. Uh, it's been another episode, like I said, episode 119. Stay healthy, stay safe, enjoy your weekend. I'm going to go play golf with my brother and sister-in-law on Sunday because it's supposed to be 72 degrees here in New Jersey. Enjoy the weekend. Stay safe. Stay sane. Don't go nuts over the election. Don't worry if you're, if you, you know, if the person you voted for does not win. Life will go on. That's why we have checks and balances, and that's why they only get four-year terms. But anyway, guys, that's going to wrap this show up. I look forward to a Tuesday release of the Xbox Series X. Oh, yeah. That should be amazing. I've ordered it. I pre-ordered it. It is set to arrive at my house on Tuesday. I'm looking forward to that. The new Call of Duty is dropping just a couple days later on the 13th. This should be a fun next couple of days. I look forward to seeing you guys next week. This is The Pony, signing off. <laughs>